Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase Podcast. Before we start this episode, we're going to again take a little time to thank a little bit of the people who helped make this show possible. First up is 2.0 Gear. Uh, it's a new brand that we just started partnering with. Uh, they make awesome uh, high-end technical uh, hunting clothes, camo. Um, and so they're based in Michigan yep. and a uh, new company. We've tested them for months. I tested them uh, in the whitetail season last year. Great Merino base layers. Yep. Great awesome Merino shells. Yep. Awesome a, new pattern. A great system for going out west, but we'll use it a ton in the, in the whitetail woods too. So really excited to work with them. 2ogear.com. Go check them out. Next up is Worldwide Trophy Adventures. Uh, it's it's an awesome, uh, basically, connection to outfitters all over the world. So as a lot of people know, good hunting ground is really hard to come by. And um, oftentimes, the best way to ensure that you're going to get in a good spot or you may, maybe you need to legally have a guide is to, to go through an outfitter. Mm -hmm. um, and so... As you might know, if you've heard us before, we've had good experiences and bad experiences with outfitters, uh, which means, you know, in order to ensure you're going to have a good experience, you have to do a ton of research. You have to talk to people. It's just a lot of messing around. Worldwide Trophy Adventures, or WTA, does a lot of this work for you at no charge. So by booking your trip through WTA, you can rest assured that you'll be in a good location with a reputable outfitter um, that they've certified and endorsed. If you're looking to book a trip of a lifetime like I am, mm -hmm. uh, just headed to a moose hunt here through WTA, you're going to want to check them out. Uh, go give them a call. Actually, I have the number right here. It's 1-800-346-8747 or check out their website at worldwidetrophyadventures.com. All right, so we love Trophy Line. They offer more than just saddles. Believe it or not, they have their own climbing sticks. They've got platforms. They've got a ton of extra packs. Gear. They've got packs. They've got everything. Knee pads. Everything that you're going to need to be a saddle hunter, they have it. So if you want to start saddle hunting this year and get into the game like everyone else and really love hunting even more, go to Trophy Line. Check it out. Use the code TFC10 to save yourself 10% on that purchase. We're big bow hunters. Uh, sights, quivers, stabilizers, those kind of things are really important if you're going to have a deadly setup. Um, and so we've tried a lot of different companies in the industry and we've kind of figured out that we really like Redline gear the best. So, um, we are shooting their torch sites this yeah, year. It's Joe a, Shore, it's a really cool, one. really cool site. Very, there's a lot of good micro adjustments you can make. You mm -hmm. can customize a lot of the stuff on there really make it your own. The chargeable USB rechargeable yeah, light is really sweet. Cool. Um, and so we're huge fans of their stuff. We use them all the time. It's worth going to check them out. Uh, check out Redline. Use the promo code TFC10 for 10% off your purchase. And uh, let us know what you think. We love them. Everybody, thank you for, for joining us for another episode of the Fair Chase podcast. Uh, this week is um, this is an, a podcast kind of specially recorded for our Michigan listeners, which there, there are a lot of, we're, we're Michigan based. Um, and so we thought we would bring Eric here on from the National uh, Deer Association, NDA, which is uh, hard for me to get used to saying that instead of QDMA and, and everything else, but uh, I'm getting there. Uh, I know it's been a while. It's still hard to, to get that right. But, um, you know, before we dive into just Today, I wanted to really talk about the state of, of, of deer in Michigan, and I think there's some things we could talk about there. But before we dive into it, Eric, you've been on the podcast before, but for people who maybe didn't catch that last episode, do you mind introducing yourself and, and what you do? Sure. Um, I am a volunteer with the National Deer Association here in Michigan. I've been involved uh, since the uh, mid-90s or so. I attended a, way back in the early 90s, attended a uh, 
show in Grand Rapids where the QDMA, then about five years old, um, was there, and uh, that got me hooked up to it. But I've become a very passionate uh, kind of evangelist for better deer management in Michigan. And uh, the QDMA, now National Deer Association, is is the vehicle for that. So I'm involved with a large deer cooperative um, in Northeast uh, Ionia County, Northwest, uh, or I'm sorry, Northeast Kent, Northwest Ionia County, um, the Red Creek Co-op. I'm involved with a local branch of the National Deer Association. And I've been state president for about seven years. This year I've transitioned that to Mike Kettelar, who's doing a great job and kind of expanding uh, where we're focusing. I've been focused a lot on advocacy. I'm still there. I'm working now as a volunteer statewide on advocacy for deer and deer management issues. And we'll probably get into some of those. Yeah, no, no. I Like uh, I said, I appreciate you kind of introducing yourself. I know you've been at this for a long time and, you know, very, very passionate. And even the emails we've exchanged and stuff um, is, is pretty cool. So, um, you know, we just, I guess let's dive right into it. So what is the state of deer in Michigan? Like, what, what are we looking at? What, what, how are things going? Um, where are we at right now as a state? Well, it's a complex picture. Um, you know, you can look at this, uh, if you're familiar with the Tale of Two Cities book, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. Um, this is, uh, you can look at things that the glass half full and the glass half empty. We've got some, some things that I think are real strengths for Michigan in uh, terms of uh, deer, our deer herd and deer management. And we've got some really big challenges. And yeah. I guess one of the messages I focus on, I've spent a lot of time on advocacy with the DNR, with the Natural Resources Commission, regulations, but I still think Michigan deer hunters are the key factor here. So regardless yeah. of what regulations get set, uh, what the DNR says, um, we as deer hunters have a responsibility to do the right thing for our deer herd, for our sport, and we have control. It's the biggest challenges that uh, we face in this state are challenges that we as deer hunters can address. Yeah, with, without laws. With, yeah, we can even without any regulatory changes, if Michigan deer hunters just say, I'm going to quit, quit blaming the NRC and DNR, and I'm just going to take action in my area to make the deer hunting, a deer herd better, uh, fight disease. Um, you know, it's it's all about better deer management, and we can certainly do a better job as hunters. Yeah. Sure. All right. Well, let's let's dive into that. So there's good and bad. Tell me the tale of good uh, in in Michigan yeah. right now. Well, we've we got a lot. Well? We've got a lot of good things. We're one of the top states in terms of number of hunters. Now it's been going down like it has. Uh, to various degrees in other states as well. For the past 20 years, there's kind of a demographic thing going on, but we've still got well over half a million deer hunters in the state of Michigan. That is yeah. a big strength. And that's something, um, and, and it's been going down, you know, pretty steady rate of about 2% a year for the last 20 years. The DNR is forecasting by 2030, we'll be down to around 460,000 or so deer hunters. Um, so it's going down, but you know what? we can turn that around in one year if we want yeah. as, as we as hunters if we even 10 percent of us go out and recruit a new hunter we will reverse the last five years of uh, reductions in a single year yep and it's fun i mean i've been doing this that's another thing as part of uh i really enjoy this i've been unofficially with uh, qdma and nda introducing new hunters since i got my farm and started doing that um 
but now we've got a field to fork program where we're introducing adult hunters um, that have wanted to hunt but just needed somebody to mentor them. It is really fun. At least at this point in my deer hunting, I get as excited. As a matter of fact, I think I get more excited. I had a, a hunter out uh, last weekend, uh, previous weekend, previous to last, um, that was a field of fork hunter. And I woke up 45 minutes before my alarm went off. I was up, <laughs> I was up at 4:15 in the morning because I was just laying there in bed thinking about where I was going to put them and how we we're going to do this. <laughs> I, love I was that. just excited, and um, so it's it's a ton of fun to introduce new people to hunting, um, and it can be through organized programs like ours. But I'll I'd say you don't have to be part of the NDA or field before. Just I think every hunter has friends that have expressed an interest in it. And have wanted, you know, expressed an interest that maybe they'd want to do it. Um, you know, find those people and invite them to come out with you. Mentor them, get them started. I think uh, for the people that, uh, you know, if you can get that flame ignited in them, they'll become lifetime hunters and we can turn that around. So that's just an example. But we've yeah. got a lot of hunters in our state. So Another, we got a lot of hunters. That's a, that's a plus. It's a plus. Another big thing. We've got... Um, we actually have the most, the highest buck harvest per square mile in the entire country. So, and it's not, you know, this past uh, year, I've got the 2023 deer report um, in front of me. It's using data from 2021. Um, but we were at, uh, in terms of buck harvest per square mile, four bucks per square mile. The closest states to us were Delaware at 3.5, Pennsylvania at 3.2. So we are harvesting a lot of antler deer. Yeah. That's, that's a symptom of the fact we've got a very large deer herd, which can be a plus um, in, um, in some, and we'll talk more about that. But yeah. we've got a big buck harvest. We've got a lot of hunters um, that love to harvest bucks. We've got a strong hunting culture in Michigan. Uh, I think there's the only state that really rivals us is Pennsylvania, the most similar state probably yep. in terms of the densities and culture and everything in, uh, that go along with that. Another statistic I got from Chad Stewart this year is we're now harvesting about two-thirds of our harvest is bucks with at least four points on a side statewide. So that's been a long, slow, uh, <laughs> we've been well behind other states on that, but and we still are. But we are uh, continuing to make progress. More and more hunters are passing the, the little ones, letting those yearlings go. And uh, in much of our state, we can have some pretty nice bucks at two and a half or three and a half years old that, that uh, hunters can be very happy with. So that's, yeah. that, those are, I think, positive <clears throat> things, things we can build on um, as, a, as a state. Yeah, no, I love that, and the, the the buck harvest numbers with four and a side. That's I didn't know that. What was what was the number? Is that what was the percentage? About behind two, that? two thirds of the uh, antlered bucks harvested have at least four points on one side. So That's if we fantastic. had fantastic, you know, yeah. So if we had a statewide four point APR, it would help. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about where it can help. It's not just on buck harvest, but. Um, it would help, but we're all, we've made good progress without regulations. And from an NDA perspective, our policy is that uh, we support APRs to protect the majority of yearling bucks, and when it's yep. uh, when when it's needed biologically. And I think we're probably getting pretty close. I mean, I, the DNR doesn't really have numbers on that, but I think we're probably getting pretty close statewide uh, without APRs in most of the state. 
um, of protecting the majority yearling bucks. Those are, those are all good things. It's an, and that's cultural. That's hunters making decisions. And, and I, th I think that's, that's very positive. All right. We're going to take a pause here real quick and just thank a few more guys and companies that help make this show possible. First up is Vortex. We can't say it enough. We love their glass. We love their binoculars, spotting scopes, range finders, their apparel. James, James is rocking a nice little hoodie here. They make awesome stuff. And if you guys are looking to make a purchase at Vortex, go over to their website and use the code TFC20 to save yourself 20% on the next purchase. That's a big, good discount. Use it. Head over there and get something. A bow makes a man. Does and, it? Yeah, that's what I was told. And we're, we're big fans of, of Prime Bows. Shooting it for years, Michigan-based company. Uh, we're shooting their latest Revix series of bows. Mine's that 36 long boy. I'll generally year. take a few shots right back here and just. Yeah, yeah we, we're huge fans. Smooth, uh, great balance. Um, they're they're just go check them out. There's tons of technology. One of my favorite things that they have is their grip. Mm. Uh, space age space technology age. keeps your hand warm even when it's cold. Um, highly recommend. Go check out Prime Archery. Finally, Lathrop and Sons, boots, your feet kill animals. Like, the more you walk, the more chances you have at, at getting that big buck, that big elk, moose, whatever it is. Uh, Lathrop and Sons have been kind of our go-to boot of choice for a while now. Uh, we've put in a lot of miles, taken them all over the place. There's no leaking. It's comfortable. Stephen and James there, like, spent – they're, like, foot like, they're scientists. Ge they're geniuses. I got messed up feet, and they basically will – you know, you take an imprint of your foot – They'll look at it, look at your arch, how wide it is, how narrow, how long, and they literally build the boot around your foot. So you're not going to a box store and picking up something that you hope is going to fit your boot. These things actually are tailor-made to your foot. So they're super comfortable. Mine, I could, I could walk all day in them. So if, if, if you're looking to and get a have. boot. If, <laughs> I have. If you're looking for a boot that's made for you and not somebody else, go check out Lake Thurman Sons. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um. Okay, so those are so we've got good tradition. We've got a lot of people. We're we're starting to harvest the right deer. Um, what you know? Are there any other positives, or is it time to jump into the the negative stuff? I think that's uh, those those would be some keys, and they're important to keep in mind. And I, you know, I didn't want to be all doom and gloom. Yeah, here. sure. Those are good things. Those are actually some of those things are are really. I mean, to to have that many hunters, that's not an easy thing. To change people in their mindset, especially in Michigan, where we've have um, kind of a tradition of you just shoot the first buck you see, you're a buck hunter, you know. And growing up, I, I don't know how many dead, you know, <clears throat> spikes, forks, small six points you'd see, and and so to hear that, that's that's not an easy change uh, to make either. So th those are fantastic, fantastic things. Um, all right, so let's switch to the flip side then. What, what's uh, what's the, where's the doom and gloom in all of this? All right, I want to do one more positive that came to mind. Okay, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that is growth of wildlife cooperatives and, and deer cooperatives in particular in Michigan. We don't have an official number at this point, but in 2020, Morgan Warda, who was our uh, co-op coordinator at the time, totaled it up, and we had more uh, deer official deer <laughs> cooperatives. Uh, more acreage in those than there was in state game areas in the in Michigan. And <laughs> really? when you, when you uh, survey those people that are in those cooperatives, their satisfaction with their hunt and things like their antlerless to antlered ratio of harvest um, is way above other areas in the state. So that's a really positive thing. And we're 
uh, those um, cooperatives, while we don't have an official co-op coordinator, the DNR canceled that program, um, cooperatives have continued to grow and um, are making a difference. So, you know, if you as a hunter want to make want to have better hunting in your area, uh, in addition to being an NDA member, <laughs> yeah. commercial plug, the uh, uh, <laughs> next most important thing you can do is talk to your neighbors. And, and actually, the most important thing you can do is talk to your neighbors, whether you're an official cooperative or not but get together with your neighbors even on public land folks are uh, talking to other folks hunting in those areas of public land on a regular yeah. basis um, you can make a huge difference well i love that too because that's kind of extra governmental you know stuff where it's like you're really imposing your own limits on yourself without an, an external body, uh, governing body to come in and say, you can't do this, um, which, you know, given kind of my political leanings and my, you know, <laughs> my, my just opinion on, on the, you know, philosophy behind how government should work um, and how citizens should step up. Um, that's just really encouraging to hear. So um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, those, yeah, those are positive. So let's switch to some things that are really um, are, are a big concern. Yeah. Um, we've got um, two things going on in Michigan now. Uh, well, we've got a number, several things going on and they're interrelated. We have in Southern, and we need to look at, I think probably talk about the upper peninsula versus the lower peninsula. Yeah. Um, there's some uh, complete, those are two different worlds. So um, I'll start <laughs> with the uh, lower peninsula. Um, we've got throughout most of the lower peninsula high densities of deer and really two high densities of deer. And if you okay. don't believe me, just drive around <laughs> this time of year. Well, actually, it's, uh, leaves are starting it's... to fall now, but you can you can see browse lines on uh, all over the state as you drive around or see how many deer are out in the uh, soybean fields right now. Um, you know, as, as it's starting to get dark or first thing in the morning. Uh, we have a lot of deer. We've got very high densities of deer, and that is a um, that may at first sound like a good thing, but if you're too high a densities of deer, you end up with things like uh, crop damage. Um, you know, those crop damage uh, issues have been going up. Um, auto yep. accidents with cars have been going up. We're at the uh, I think the highest level we've been since. Uh, around 2009, um, and it's uh, they've been going up. Um, I had that here in my my data, but uh, yeah, nearly 20% of recorded collision, uh, collisions with cars in Michigan involved white-tailed deer. That includes deaths, so people are dying. Um, your uh, Reported deer collisions in 2022 were 59,000, the highest number since 2009. And I saw an article a couple of weeks ago where we are outpacing 2022. So high deer densities. Um, and then that also plays into disease. So we've got uh, bovine tuberculosis threatening not just our deer herd, but our cattle industry in the northeast part of the state. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of millions of dollars of economic impact there. Um, could literally put uh, some of our, our uh, agricultural folks out of business um, in that part of the state. Um, if we don't uh, keep a lid on that and get control of it, stop it from spreading. And then chronic wasting disease, which is continuing to steadily expand. So we just added another county this year, Midland County. How many and, counties uh, are we looking at for, for the CWD? Um, 
the, uh, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 counties with known CWD in them. How many? 14? 15 counties. 15. Okay, so that's uh, 15, 83 counties in, uh, there's 83 counties in Michigan, right? So that's about almost 20% of our, you know, 18% of our um our counties have have CWD issues. Uh, yep. That's concerning. It's continuing to spread, um, and uh, it's uh, when you look at the, both of those diseases. While they're completely different, bovine tuberculosis is a bacteria. Chronic wasting disease is a what they call a prion, a mutated protein. Um, they're completely different in that way, but they're very similar in that the animals most likely to have it and spread it are older animals. Um, so. Um, and in Michigan, uh, the predominant, uh, the most old animals over, say, three and a half or four and a half are um, antlerless deer. It's uh, there's still a, if you get a four and a half or older buck in Michigan, regardless of antlers, <laughs> you, you've done something. Yeah, it's uh, hard to find those. I've been looking for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can, but you can get. I, I, I know just on my little uh, seventy-nine acres in Ionia County. I, I don't think there's a year I haven't gotten at least a five and a half year old doe. And you know, I've, the oldest one I've gotten is was aged at nine and a half. Her teeth were down to just little nubs. Um, so we've got a big issue with densities. So that's disease spreads through density, and then the numbers of um, older antlerless deer that uh, hmm. are a, a big threat. So, um, and to give you an idea, uh, the kind of the scope of the problem here, we are not harvesting anywhere near as many antlerless deer as antlered in the state. And it's not... I just was looking at those numbers like two days ago. Yep. It's kind of troubling. I just downloaded the spreadsheet this morning for this conversation from the DNR. And due to this uh, mandatory harvest reporting, now we can. It was great last year, and it's great this year that we can go in and look at this and see where where we're at. And um, it's not good, folks. We we're at uh, 0.64 as a, as a state, 0.64 antlerless deer per antler at this point in the season. Hmm. Now that does tend to go up a little bit as seasons go on. There's some folks that uh, put more emphasis on does a little bit later. Yep. Uh, but we're not doing well. Last year, as a state, we were at 0.76. Okay. Uh, and, if, you know, I think it's important to look at context on those numbers, too. So how do we compare to surrounding states? So um, Illinois is 1.2. Indiana's 1.2 antlerless per antler. Iowa's 1.2. Um, Ohio's 1.5. Wisconsin's 1.1. The general rule of thumb is at least one to one. If you're trying to manage your herd, keep it stable, you need to hit at least 1.1. And we are nowhere close. So we've got these high densities, we've got deer disease, and we are nowhere close to keeping control over our deer herd. But I, Eric, we, we've solved this problem. The DNR gave us more doe tags. Like, isn't the problem? Didn't doesn't that just solve everything? Isn't everything fixed now? If they just let us have more, we they let us buy more tags. They did, yes. You know, but the thing is, hunters have to actually go out and harvest does to make that work. And yeah, um, I'm taking pulling these stats from uh, Chad Stewart as well. Um, but um, it was a very very few hunters actually shoot any doe. So 
Um, 75% of hunters don't take an antlerless deer at all. Um, only 17% of hunters take one antlerless deer in a season. Really? Yep. And uh, less than 1% of hunters take four or more deer in a season. So you have, so everybody complains, oh my gosh, the DNR says you can buy 10 antlerless permits. They're going to wipe out all the deer. Well, the numbers don't support that. They really don't. Uh, now, it could happen in a local area. You know, and that's why the, the NDA, I think, is important with our resources to help you, you know, target appropriate numbers of does. But, you know, if you get enough people in one area shooting uh, 10 does, you know, that obviously could be a problem. But as a statewide, we are very far from having that problem. No, I see that, though, as like, all right, even if like me and my buck. So right now, I think our count is three does and a buck between the three of us uh, on, at the fair chase. And I, if you throw in uh, Joe's son, who I think shot two or three does already, we're, we're there. <laughs> but my thought is always like, okay, say we do that all in an area. And you, all of a sudden, there's a lot more resources in our area that deer aren't eating and so on. And then so eventually something else will move in and it just kind of kind of fills in you know what i mean so right. i've never had the concern where it's like oh if we shoot too many does we'll never see a deer it's like i've never had that problem you know no it's, it's actually the opposite in a i mean some very positive things happen when you do what you're doing which is harvesting does earlier in the season and just harvesting more does than bucks um one of the big things is you're going to see more bucks um because they now have to compete for does um so you it, picture yourself if if your ratio is way off if you now got five or six does per buck and uh, yeah. you know those does are coming into heat that buck doesn't have to roam around looking for him he's tripping over him he might exactly he might not even have to move at all he may stay just right down on a little thick brushy area and uh, stay there for a week uh um, impregnating does and never yeah. be subject to anybody's harvest, never even be seen. Yeah. Um, if you can get that ratio down, um, you know, one to two is a great place to be, you know, one to one, of course, would be even better, but harder to achieve, but you can get that ratio down. Um, now that bucks, he's got to get up on his feet. He's when he gets done with one doe, he's got to go find another one. And so you're going to see more bucks and they're going to be competing. So now it's multiple bucks competing for that doe. So they're chasing and yeah. uh, there oh, is man. so much fun. There's, it, there's... it doesn't get more fun, no. you know? <laughs> well, exactly. and it's like it, if you've ever hunted in a place where that, that is the case, whether it be a different state or a certain region or property or whatever, and you're seeing, you're seeing like true ruddy activity, you know, chasing, looking for does, it is... Like you could sit there all day for a week and not get tired of it. It's just exciting all the time. Like you'll, I'll be cold. I'll be sitting out, you know, in the tree all day. And it's like, I could just always do this. It's so fun to do. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. And I will say, um, this is sort of anecdotal, but in my, my little farm in Ionia County, I'm part of a co-op and we really did change deer hunting there without regulations. But during that APR period, I had the hottest, most exciting um, chasing going on that I have had in my Michigan hunting career. And same, uh, I mean, just, it's, it was off the, I mean, off the charts. It, I mean, I'd, I'd just be like glowing, yeah. <laughs> beaming I... ear to ear. Um, so it, you know, it, it was just, yeah. So you experienced the same thing. 
It's, oh, I mean, rat, I rattled deer in. I grunted deer. It's like stuff <laughs> I never would have tried in the past. I was like, even during gun season, which like, you know, it's like, oh, it's it's gun season. Things are kind of, they die down a little bit. I'm like, no, I'm headed out. I'm taking my bow out because we're in kind of the shotgun zone. I just, you know, um, like to take my bow out. So I, I go out and I'm like, I'm just going to kind of still hunt. It's like 10, 1030 in the morning. And I'm just going to kind of work my way into this spot. And sure enough, I glass up. Just a huge, like 150 inch buck on public land, right? I'm like, wow, this is, there's no way you can see me. I'm like, ah, you know what? I'll try rattle. I'll just rattle. I have, I have him with me. Like, I'm going to try it. And so I'm, you know, I duck down. I can see embedded and he's probably 100 yards away. And I'm just, I go to town. I'm making, you know, I'm hitting the ground. I'm crashing into trees. And he came in so quickly that I could, I didn't have time to put my antlers down and grab my bow. And he, he was probably 20 yards away from me coming straight at me so of course i didn't shoot him because it happened too fast but i'm I'm looking back thinking like i can't even believe that i'm hunting in michigan right now and it again it was in an apr zone it was after a couple years that it had been in place for that four and a side and uh like you said it was just i mean every time you'd come in from the woods you have a just a giant smile on your face yeah it, it so it makes it makes uh made a difference that type of experience is why we as hunters need to take control of our you know so the dnr can only do they can't make you squeeze the trigger right so they can't right. make you they can't make you kill a yearling buck and they they can't make you shoot a doe it's it's a hunter making those decisions um, and trying to do the right thing for their deer herd and i tell you what when i get to right about where we are right now um uh through um into through november basically i don't have any desire to go anywhere else hunting yeah. wise. I, I really yep. don't. I have so much fun <laughs> here in Michigan. Same. So, yep. um, and we don't have an APR anymore. So, and that has made a difference, but I've got a strong co-op. We've already changed the culture in our area and, uh, we have some really good hunting. So, yeah. And we I, do, control, and you know, I'm fortunate to control. So, you know, I've got some 79 acres, so it's not big. It's not as big as a buck's home area, but I've got good habitat. I control how I hunt it. So, I have deer moving all the way through November, which is great. Yeah. No, I love that. So, okay. So, uh, you know, we have the issues, right? Some, some yeah. issues that we're, we're dealing so, with. Yeah. It's still uh, harvest for way behind and, and we're losing hunters. So those are, and, yeah. And so far that the idea that we would just simply allow people to shoot more does has not really had the impact that we've hoped because like you said, less than 1% of people are shooting more than four does, for example. And, and that number probably is pretty small, even for t more than one doe, right, in a season. Yep. Um, okay, so changing a law that allows for it doesn't doesn't work. And, and I, I, I think a lot of people listening probably could have forecasted that. Uh, what What is our way out? What's our path out? How should we move forward with this? Well, there's two things from a regulation standpoint. Number one, I say hunters... <laughs> let's let's uh, take care of this ourselves you know yep. that's that's number one but regulations do can can and do make a difference yeah and, for sure and i think the dnr taking positions on these things could can and will make a difference too so if we get to the regulatory area there's two things we were we've been pushing one won't be a surprise i don't think to anybody um listening to this call the other maybe more uh more new so mm -hmm. the first one is antler point restrictions. And we just yeah. did this trial in uh, our CWD area. And um, 
it what uh, the DNR shows in their own charts is we changed the ratio. It was between 0.7 and 0.8 antlerless per antlered in those counties before the APR. During the APR study, it averaged 1.15 for all really? three years. And then they eliminated the uh, antler point restriction. It went right back to where it had been prior to the study. And hmm. I was just looking at the numbers today, and they're just terrible. So, I mean, if we look at, uh, so Montcalm had the uh, most uh, CWD in the state, or has the most detections in the state. They're only averaging 0.45 antlerless deer per antler. And their, their deer densities are through the roof in Montcalm County. So that's a disaster. So here we've got the most CWD. Kent County has the second uh, highest uh, prevalence rates when they were testing enough to know anyway. Uh, they're only at 0.56. Um, Ionia County, uh, you know, so Montcalm, um, Ionia, and uh, Macosta were our, our APR counties. And yep. uh, um, so I'll give you an idea where Ionia is. So it was doing so well during the study. Um, it's at 0.58 antlerless per antler oh as of today. I mean, it's just fallen off the cliff. So those ratios are really important. And um, they're, and, and, you know, this is DNR data. You can look yeah. it up online yourself. There's no... Uh, um, no, no FOIA request required. No, you can, and that's a great thing about this uh, harvest reporting thing. And, but um, the earlier years data is available from the DNR as well. I have it. It's uh, um, well reported. So um, that's a huge factor. So APRs, it's not just, um, I guess the key thing there is it's not just protecting yearling bucks, although that's a key thing that it does. It projects the majority yearling bucks, allows most of the deer two and a half and older to be harvested, mm -hmm. but it also does lead to um, a better ratio and increased antlerless harvest. And the DNR hmm. has been a little bit frustrating, frankly, um, with the study. So we've got those great ratios, right? Um, well, and if you look at their data points that they use, there's also a very clear increase in antlerless harvest, just in terms of raw numbers. And, uh, but the DNR kept driving us crazy. They say, well, you know, we're not 100% sure that it's actually increasing the antlerless harvest. And didn't find out till after the June meeting uh, which was frustrating that we didn't get this from them. But turns out that they're, um, when they did this study, they had very wide confidence intervals. So for those of yeah. us who haven't been in a statistics class for a long time, mm -hmm. uh, a confidence interval is the um, distance or the range of values that uh, will be your 95% confident the actual number falls in. Mm -hmm. And it forms a bell curve. So the data they were, they've were they been showing us is the most likely number. But the confidence interval is over 4,000 deer, if you look at this study. So they couldn't even say, even though they thought it was 8,000 in the non-APR area, 11,000 in the APR area for, area for the harvest, they couldn't even say for sure that there was any difference between the harvest in those two areas. So that's huge. And the uh, really disappointing part of that is that's completely controllable. So they knew what their confidence interval was. What's even going on with the, this? Why is this happening? Yeah, they should have just surveyed. All, the simple way that you narrow your confidence interval is you survey more people. I mean, that's yeah. that's what and you we do. we can. It, it, yeah, there's, it, it costs them a postage stamp 
or, or an email. I mean, it's mostly it's, yeah, uh, an email. It's we have the app with like there's so many easy ways to do it. I literally just reported my buck on my phone, right? And like yeah. how easy it took two seconds. I know people are all sometimes get up in arms like giving away a hunting land space and stuff. We've even had some guests talk about that or been on other podcasts, but like I mean, there are easy ways to get pure data that helps right. us make the best game management decisions. Now, and that's been something the NDA has been pushing for for years. So, but we didn't get it till last year. So yeah. during this experimental period, the way they were getting the data is just through the surveys, you know, and, and hunters needed to respond to those surveys. So there's another area where hunters have some culpability in this thing. Uh, but the DNR should have said, hey, wait a minute, 2018, we've got this big confidence interval. We can't be sure there's any difference between these two areas. Let's survey more people. <laughs> That'd yeah. be a really simple thing. And um, they didn't do it. And so then we find out in June of 23, prior to the NRC, you know, actually after the NRC meeting, that um, the reason they've been saying that didn't increase antlerless harvest was not that it you know, it most likely did, <laughs> but uh, the uh, their confidence interval issue. And the other interesting thing there is it was the first two years that the uh, um, confidence intervals overlap, but because of the increased antlerless harvest and the widening gap between the two areas, those last two years of the study, it's there is no overlap. So um, there's clearly more going on in the APR county. So the data points are the ratios are solid. The uh, the data points to the fact that antlerless harvest went up, and that's in Michigan. I think you know while we're getting better with uh, letting the little bucks go, um, we're we are a long way from doing it with uh, our antlerless harvest, and that's why I think APRs still are an important part of this. So okay, and, and yep. one other data point is we, um, Pennsylvania did this 20 years ago. They mm -hmm. were had identical ratios to Michigan, or very similar ratios of antlerless to antlered. Um, they they uh, put in antler point restrictions 20 years ago, and now they're at 1.5 antlerless per antlered, while at the same time breaking lots of state records in their buck size, and um, they're uh, third in the country in terms of buck harvest per square mile. So you can harvest more does both. and have bigger deer, and a and great more. buck harvest. So yeah. it's a win-win it's a thing. Again, I'll point to Pennsylvania there. So, um, And they're like our, like you said, they're, the, they're so similar. We, we have so many people on our podcast from, from Pennsylvania. Uh, and it's like their culture is so similar, their history, the, the numbers of hunters. It's so very similar to Michigan or even like Wisconsin. It's like, man, we could be that. We could be that. You yes. Know? There's no question we could we can do that. It's changing hunters' minds, but it is also a regulatory thing. So APRs probably is not surprised a single person, but I wanted to put some, there's data behind it too. Yeah. So it's not uh, um, you know not just us. You know, so APRs really, but we didn't frankly looking at the data didn't think that that was going to be enough in Michigan sure. to get us where we needed to go. So back in January, the beauty of having this data is we knew we we're screwed <laughs> at, the, at the end of 2022 and we needed to come back with some recommendations. So APRs plus something else. So I got with our national group, Kip Adams in particular, yep. Matt Ross, um, put our heads together, you know, what's working in other places that could get our dough harvest up. 
And uh, what they suggested is something that uh, we're going to, you could call it, a, it's a change, would be a change to our combination license. So the, uh, the terminology I'll use, although it's, uh, um, is earn a second buck. And so I want to explain that because everybody's heard about earn a buck in Wisconsin. And that got, uh, you know, hunters hated that. And I don't blame them. I yeah, mean, sure. I would be so frustrated if you get a giant yeah. buck walking out. It's like, I got to yeah. picture the doe it's first. Opening morning, especially if you're a gun hunter. With us bow hunters, you know, we've got, you know, six weeks to uh, try and get a doe down. So yeah. that's not quite as big a deal. But if you're a gun hunter on November 15th, the biggest buck of your life walks out and you can't shoot it because you haven't shot a doe yet. I mean, that would infuriate. Just the thought that that could happen would infuriate a lot yeah. of people. And so earn a buck, but it did, I will say, it did uh, make a huge difference in their uh, antlerless to antler ratios. Um, so it worked from yeah, that perspective. It, yep. So it made a difference in Wisconsin, um, but they had another problem with it, which is it also resulted in a lot of button bucks getting killed. So you can, sure. you're just I don't have those shooting numbers. anything without antlers. You're like, yeah. ah, boom, it, you know. It, it's, uh, yeah, opening morning, we're a minute into daylight. I'm shooting that little button buck, and, or the first antlerless deer I see so that if a buck shows up, I can I can take it. You know? And just for the record, for people listening, just because it's a button buck right away doesn't mean that it's doomed to be a small buck for the rest of its life. That's been, <laughs> like, debunked for a long time, and we'll get sometimes comments about that or I'll hear that sometimes. And so yeah. just know that just because it's a button buck one year doesn't mean it can't be a world-class deer later on. That's or a spike or a fork or, you know, it's exactly. like, oh, I'm going to be culling deer. Well, it culling the hits. You have no you call the does actually dull dough. Yeah. Well, we had yeah. Dr. Grant Woods on maybe a couple of years ago now. And he's like, the way to actually cull is not through the bucks. It's through the does who actually pass on those genetics. And so unless you can ask a doe about the, fa the fawns that's had over the last eight years and, you know, how they turned out, you're, you're going to have a hard time culling. But people still do it and, and you know, whatever. Right. But uh, anyways, that didn't mean yeah. to track. Well, I will from... say that's another part of our unbalanced harvest problem. So a big difference in antler growth for a year and a half old buck is when it's born. So most of the time when you see a spike buck in Michigan, that's a, a fawn that was born 30 days late. So especially in southern Michigan, because we hmm. get quite a few sixes and, and eights that are a year and a half in, in southern Michigan. Um, good growing conditions, good nutrition. Uh, they're yep. born on time. If you start seeing a lot of spikes, um, that's probably an indication you're you need to harvest more does and get your ratios in order um, huh. so that the does get bred their first time, their first heat. There's a lot of implications actually for Michigan and our deer herd there. If we can have better ratios of bucks to does so that um, just was listening to a good podcast with the Mich uh, Mississippi State folks um, hmm. and the research they're doing on rubs and scrapes and um, you know triggering of, of breeding. Um, turns out that uh, Bucks, mature bucks in particular, are the ones that um, synchronize. There's a relationship between mature does, mature bucks, and they synchronize each other breeding-wise through the use of rubs and scrapes. And so if you don't have very many mature bucks, you're going to have the does will be less synchronized in their breeding. They're less, if your ratios are off, they're less likely to be bred in their first heat. And uh, that means their, their fawns will be born 30 days later. They don't. Um, if you're in northern Michigan or the UP, that's really bad if they're born yeah. 30 days late because they're not going to have the size 
weight and fat necessary to make it through even an average winter. Um, hmm. And if we get a bad winter, those fawns that uh, that doe has invested all that energy in raising that fawn, and then it dies because it, it was born 30 days later than it should have been. Um, so that's that's a whole other issue we could we could dive into, but. Uh, we need we need those ratios to be in place, even in uh, UP of Michigan. Uh, you know, even though we've got very low densities, you still want your ratios to be uh, close. Uh, yeah. buck, antler bucks to antlerless. Um, it's important to the survival of the deer in the next winter. So just to recap a second, because <clears throat> this reminded me of a conversation I had with uh, one of the, the leaders of some uh, somebody in the leader position, leadership position in the at the DNR. Um, and I'll leave it at that. But their hope was that the APR zones, even though they took them away, would have changed the culture in those counties so much that people would be willing to shoot more does, even without the regulations um, as they were. And you're telling me just to rewind back, you're telling me that that actually just went right back to the pre APR numbers. Okay. So I got that. Yeah. So they were not hope right about not that a strategy. That may have been their hope, but it's not a strategy. Ter well, <laughs> and government generally doesn't dictate culture, but again, that's something else too. Um, so the other side of it is earn a second buck. Um, yeah. and so that is yeah, you shoot one. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So the idea there would be that, um, before you could use your, and there's lots of ways you can specifically do it with your tags. But the idea is you couldn't shoot a second buck until you had harvested at least one doe. Um, this was first tried in West Virginia. It's now being used in Virginia. And what they found is it, it, re it resulted in about a 14% increase in antlerless harvest. Hmm. So if we take that plus APRs, now we're starting to get in the range of where we probably need to be. Um, you know, even those two things together may not be the total answer. Um, you know, it's still up to us hunters to do the right thing, but uh, it moves the needle. Those two yep. things together move the needle in a significant way. I've reviewed it with a lot of hunters, and I don't get too many people. Once they get understand, I'm talking about earn a second buck, they yeah. don't get too worked up. Um, you know, so you're the gun. If you're just a gun hunter, November fifteenth, you see that big buck, you can take it. But then it's in your interest to shoot a doe pretty quick. Right. So that if another you have another opportunity, a buck, now you can do it. But now uh, the other thing it does is most people don't have room in their freezer for more than two deer. So if you've got a buck and a doe, you might just say, well, at least uh, you know you may not even harvest another buck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but at least now our ratio is balanced um, and uh, you're incented to do it. Um, and I do think it, I mean, to the point that that DNR person was making while it was a hope, I do think once people harvest a few does, it does get them over a hump that, you know, yeah. a mental hump. Um, so that, that's a good thing. Um, so uh, that's earn a second buck. Um, I got a lot of positive feedback. Uh, Chad Stewart, a deer and elk biologist, uh, um, is, knows the biologist that did this in West Virginia and Virginia, and he's been following that. Uh, some of our Natural Resources Commission members are have been uh, made aware of it, and they they are fond of that idea. Um, so, but I don't think it does it by itself either. So we can't no. say APRs. You know, we don't need APRs because we're in we're in a second buck. Um, it's we, kind of a we, combination of things, and it yeah. Well, 
And there's also, you know, I've always wondered about like an early antlerless season, you know, you can go out with your bow and September 15 or something and you get to shoot a doe. I know some states do that or I have fair. Well, and I didn't know this was controversial, but like my controversial opinion and people are going to give me, they have already given me kind of the business for it. It's like the, um, the youth season should be antlerless only. Like I said that, and like right. I heard a lot about, it. it's like, well, you my kids- in trouble, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but my, I'll say this in response. I, I, there are so many people, I'll give you a good example. A guy goes out shooting a 350 legend in the lower part of Michigan and with his kid who's like four, right? Right. The buck steps out, he gets three or four shots on this deer. And I'm thinking, there's a, you're telling me a four-year-old is- has it together to take four shots on a deer that like, you know how much people take their child out to go on youth season. It's usually the dude that's hunting with the kid and like, he's taking a shot. So like my thing with that is if your kid wants to get into hunting and I have a daughter, right. I take her hunting and it's, it's the, we do the whole thing. You know, a lot of us do, but like, if you want to do a youth season and really give them a chance to shoot a deer, you could wipe out a lot of does that way. And it's, they're still getting the experience. They're getting the venison and like your four-year-old, doesn't need to get a buck, right? Like I, I, anyways, I know it's controversial. People give me the crap about that all the time, but I have a kid. I'll I'll tell you, I'll back it up to a degree. Now as an NDA, we're not going to take a position on that. Yeah, Uh, sure. The, the, uh, and for several reasons, number one, it just isn't that many deer um, that are getting killed in the youth season, but it infuriates people because yeah, you'll see those pictures. All it takes is a few of them too, the little four-year-old propped up next to a giant trophy buck and with a rifle. You know, I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> he didn't uh, shoot yeah. a 300 wind mag, yeah. you know, at this, at this deer. Yeah. The kid blew, would be blown out the back of the deer, <laughs> the deer blind, you know. We might be exaggerating a little bit. But, exactly, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's pretty rare. But, um, yeah. you know, there's a natural tendency, though, I think, for the adults to urge a kid to shoot a buck. You know, so I think yeah. this is an adult uh, thing. Um, if, uh, you know, they made me king and I could go back in time, I'd say, yeah, the youth season should be antlerless because I have never had a kid. I've had the, both my own kids and a number of other kids who have taken, uh, gotten first deer on my farm. I have never seen one that didn't get thrilled over shooting a doe. And yeah. if they, and if I did run across that kid, um, that I think would be a problem. That'd be a kid is probably not going to be a hunter. Um, yeah, they could probably grow up axe murder, you know, who yeah, knows yeah. what kind yeah, of, I don't you know. know. So, <laughs> so I have, um, you know, so I agree with you to a degree, but it yeah. isn't, you know, biologically, I don't think it's more just, you know, and there's a certain jealousy, which I think is ugly also in some hunters yeah. about uh, youth going out. Um, so, yeah. yeah, as an NDA, I, I will, so I'll partially agree with you, but I'm, I'm, our, um, Am I personally or is the NDA going to take that on as a cause? No, it's just well, a mistake. It should have been antlerless from the start. There's no going back now. And there, I, no I say this, back. but last year I took my daughter out for the youth season, got her, gave her a crossbow, right? Uh, and we're out and man, we almost shot a, a nice eight points. So like, what, what am I talking about? Like I'm, I'm right. uh, definitely uh, biased when it's, when it's my own kid, but um, I definitely see it. And, you know, even talking to my daughter, like you said, uh, her, like if she could shoot a doe and get me a Euro amount of its skull so she can put it in her room, like that would be the coolest thing that she could even <laughs> imagine. So it's like, right. I don't know that she, uh, all she cares is about going hunting and getting a deer. So, um, and she's already, I mean, we're planning, we're going to can this deer, you know, we're going to, what we're, how are we going to do them? We'll sit in the the tree stand, the the deer blind and 
we'll talk about all the ways that we're going to, you know, do prepare the meat. So it's, it's, you know, uh, shooting a buck is important for sure. But like, like you said, it's like, they're just excited to go out. And, and, you know, and, you know, and it's a good example where we hunters, you know, whether or not the youth season is antlerless or not, we as fathers and mentors and things, we can encourage them to shoot does. We don't necessarily have to have a regulation that way. And, yeah, you know, exactly. And, 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 you know, and everybody's situation is different and everything else. I'm not going to um, give anybody a hard time whose kid shoots a big buck. That's that's awesome. I'm excited yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, but same. But our ratios are way off. It was something on the order of six or seven to one in the youth season. So <laughs> the, the implications of that for the long term is is bad so we're trying to shift the culture so that people are more willing to harvest does um, because that's so important to managing deer but how are we starting them off well six or seven to one of those harvests in the youth season are are bucks so that's yep. it runs counter but you know we don't need to change regulation we as hunters just need to go out and and teach our kids about the importance of doe harvest and i want to make a plug for how fun doe hunting is like you just go shoot does. It's the most fun. It's, we love to do it. Whether it's, you know, Jared, one of our, our guys here and actually Joe both did some spot and stock, you know, in the corn with, with yep. their bows and does like that is, it's so fun. It's just good, clean fun. So, I mean, like it's a good duty and it helps. And there's like a, a sense of like, like I said, duty to do it, but at the same time, just do it. Like it's great venison. It's about as much fun as you can have going out and just shooting does and hanging it with the boys or with your hunting, whatever, whatever yep. it is. So there's a lot of that, that, that can be done. Um, and, and kids it, it's like action fun. too, right? Yeah. I mean, they, you don't want them sitting forever in the blind waiting for a, a giant buck to show up, you know, when they you just had 20 does go by. So you know, they like dough, learn how to shoot yep. and do a blood trail and all, you know, clean it. Like you can do all, there's a lot of teaching that can be done pretty easily. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, you know, again, we have a great opportunity as hunters in Michigan with our big deer herd um, to do the right thing, get our kids started in the right way. So, um, so yeah. Um, but that earn a second buck, I think um, if we put those two things together, we'll be pitching again next year with the natural resources commission. They, um, you know, for two years in a row, they apologized after they said deer regulations. So we just didn't have time. You know, we didn't, uh, you know, didn't <coughs> there's no excuse for that. And, and no, That's, it's like we're, we're do doing status quo. We had uh, yeah. Brian Frowley, their statistician. They asked him, well, if we don't change things in our harvest, you know, what is, uh, how are we going to be in Michigan? And he said, well, we're in a world of hurt. And Chad Stewart has done a, did a great job. Our deer and elk biologist at the meetings talking about how, We've got to change that harvest. The Natural Resources Commission chose to do nothing, um, nothing significant anyway. They did put the APR back on the second tag and the combination license for uh, Southern Michigan, but um, where they removed it. But that's not those, those are that's not a that's not going to move the needle. You know, no. so they here we've got a crisis going on, um, you know, and they did nothing. So. Um, We'll be back pushing it again, <laughs> uh, trying to make a difference. Um, and I'll add one more thing, which is, which is uh, really frustrating. And that is, so we have got this 1% of hunters that are shooting, it's a, maybe a little more than 1% that are shooting, you know, more, significantly more than one doe. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem is most people don't have a place to put it in their freezer. So uh, Michigan Sportsman Against Hunger has been a 
big and important um, place where you could take your deer um, and donate them and feel good about it. You know, we, we harvested a, a doe and now it's going to help feed uh, the underprivileged in our community. Well, yep. um, we've, and this is frustrating because we've had, we have a board member on Sportsman Against Hunger. Our board member for years was saying, well, you need to get on top of looking at testing um, this meat um, and, uh, you know, put a process in place and the DNR did nothing about it. Uh, they put a new person in charge this year and um, on September 15th, uh, set a directive to all Sportsmen Against Hunger processors and said, you cannot um, process a deer, accept a deer and distribute it that has not been tested if you're in a bovine tuberculosis county for bovine tuberculosis, or if you're in a CWD county uh, for has been tested and found negative for chronic wasting disease. And then they also did a, so that stopped uh, them from taking deer. And they said, just hang, if you the meat you've got, just hang on to, um, or throw it out if you run out of space in your freezer. Yeah, yep. And that's horrible. Um, yeah. And uh, we found out that we started getting calls from some of these processors. Um, and then they also tested for lead, and they found, I think, somewhere in 33% of the meat that there were uh, microparticles of lead. Um, and that you also that. got them freaked out. Now, hunters have been shooting deer for how long uh, with lead projectiles? And... Uh, eating it and nobody's ever found any negative impact on hunters um so but given flint water crisis uh you tell a state <laughs> bureaucrat anything about people ingesting lead that's um, a hot button it freaks them out so now they want to test for both of those things and um so we've been we're, we have uh, are not against testing per se we're against the timing of this um you know if they yeah. come out in february and said hey we want to start <laughs> testing they could have put funds to it. They could have put a process in place. Great. You know, do whatever you think you, you need to do. Um, but uh, we're struggling with that and they're starting to lose processors. They're also not compensating processors enough for the extra work they're asking them to do. So we're actually working right now and I'm, I'm, it's not looking good, but we're trying to get some supplemental funds from the legislature to help compensate these processors more. And uh, yeah. start putting refrigerated trailers on site so that at least they can take deer and store them till tests come back. Um, so that's, that's what we're working on. Um, if that doesn't happen this year, we'll obviously be working hard for that next year. That's, we simply have to have that. If we're going to get enough does harvested, um, hunters are not going to shoot does and leave them lay. Or, you know, people that they just, just goes against everything, everything no. we're about. Um, so We've got to come up with a way. We do have other branches have been working in counties where there aren't sportsmen against hunger processors, where we are continuing to work with those processors. And so there's still ways to donate deer, but they really put a wrench in things at a critical point in the season. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, the Michigan <clears throat> sportsman against hunger is cool. Like, um, uh, I mean, even you go to their website, there's you can see exactly where you can find a processor where you just drop your deer off. They take care of it. It's like the easiest thing. Now I eat them all, uh, or I make them for somebody else. But, uh, should I get to the point where, you know, we were talking ahead of time where we both did a, a moose hunt this year. And, and I think I last checked, I had like 300 and 400 pounds of moose meat, a couple <laughs> other deer, you know, I've got turkeys and 
chickens and cut. So I'm loaded, but at the same time, it's like, I think I could fit another, at least two deer in that freezer somewhere. <laughs> if you grind them right and you make the bags, you know, if you do right. your grinding yourself and you form those bags of ground the right way, you can Tetris it kind of in your <laughs> freezer a little bit, but no, that's fantastic. Um, we're coming up on time, but yep. for people who are listening that want to either get involved, you know, help raise their voice, um, kind of support the mission like what's the the best way we can do that uh become a member of the national deer association you can actually do it for free if you go to deerassociation.com we've got a free basic membership um that you can sign up for uh there's also a, um, a next level of membership 35 bucks a year but there's strength in numbers i mean one of the first questions that um legislators will ask me when i go and talk to them is well how many members do you have yeah and so um, and as a, even a non-paying member, just a, that, that real basic level, you're going to be getting weekly emails from the NDA on deer issues, deer science. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool to get that um, stuff distributed. If there are legislative things going on, you'll be hearing about it, um, getting those updates. So uh, becoming a member of the uh, National Deer Association, deerassociation.com is a great place to go. Um, if you're on Facebook, we do have a Facebook page for the Michigan uh, State Council of the National Deer Association. Our branches each will have, so, you know, my column county branch, the, uh, you know, all of various branches will have Facebook pages as well. So you can get on those Facebook pages and get involved that way. Attend a banquet and, uh, you know, spend some money, win, some, win a gun, win, you know, win some things, spend some money and support the cause that way, and then volunteer. So... It, uh, our volunteers do a number of things. If you're, and it depends on what lights your fire. If you want to get involved with helping kids get into hunting, we have uh, youth hunts and military youth hunts. We do hunts for disabled veterans. Um, you know, if those are the types of things that, that get you fired up. If you want to help the, in the advocacy side with your state legislators and with the DNR and going to NRC meetings, you know, that's another way you can help. There's uh, start a deer cooperative in your area. Again, the single biggest thing you can do to improve your hunting is just go out and talk to your neighbors. Put a barbecue yeah. together. Uh, you know, just talk about, share pictures, uh, talk about uh, your deer hunting goals, what you want to accomplish. Um, make, you know, all of a sudden you get to know your neighbors and, hey, that person won't shoot them either if I let them go. So that's great, you know. Um, don't be confrontational. Be friendly, respectful, regardless of their, their way of doing it. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, those things all can make a big difference. Um, deer co-ops, deer association branches, uh, memberships, volunteering, and take a new hunter hunting. There's still yeah. time this year. So if you've got a friend who's expressed any interest at all, um, offer to take them out. You know, I've had friends that initially don't even you know, say, well, I really don't think I could shoot at anything, but I'll, I would like to come along. Uh, bring them along. You know, yep. introduce them. Even if they never become a hunter, they're going to have a much more positive impression of, of hunters, seeing what it's actually like and what we experience. So um, we, have, we have time to do that. We have time to go out and shoot a doe or more, <laughs> doe <laughs> or two or three or four. We've got time to take a hunter hunting. Um, you know, let's go do it. Yeah, and I just, well, I'll say literally in the time that you were talking about the, the NDA and how easy it is to sign for free, I signed up that easily for free i mean it takes it took me 10 seconds to do so i'm on the list you start there you, you become a paying member and, and everything else so just a plug to say like it's very easy so 
Everybody, thanks for listening. Eric, thank you for, for joining and just giving us an update. We, we like to do these fairly regularly with you. We'll probably do it again um, next year just to get a pulse on and what's going on in our woods, um, what we need to think about. All my dogs behind me. Um, really <laughs> we, making a we scene may need to there. do a moose hunting podcast, too. <laughs> I would love that. Yeah, we because. Uh, yeah, yeah, we we really should because we went we almost went exact opposite directions for our hunts. You were in Newfoundland, <laughs> and I was uh, all the way in BC, so um, very different uh, types of uh, moose. But I mean, yep. moose hunting is awesome. That was about as I want to do it again. Have. I absolutely yeah. want to do it again. Same. So. Yeah. All right. all right. Well, everybody, go check uh, ND8 out. Um, you know, just get involved. If you have any questions, reach out to us. Reach out to ND8. Um, directly we're happy to put you in touch however we can help do this um, this is you know like eric said something that you know um, legislature our legislatures have um, uh, an important role in but the most important people in, in this process are, are the people on the ground so the hunters um, and the decisions we make the way that we conduct ourselves so any way we can help let us know um, and again thanks for for listening in this week thank you so much hey everybody thanks for listening to this episode we really do appreciate it if you want to go on to any kind of social media platform give us a like share subscribe you know it really help us out keeps the train rolling and if you guys really like what you're listening here give us a five either star way if, even if you don't like it even if you don't like review. it five stars That'd helps cool. everyone out we'll see you out there